1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, fears for the queen as she postpones another formal engagement. Doctors have now ordered the 96-year-old monarch to rest. Youth crime rising and fears of a gang violence. Could teachers smacking kids again be the answer? A school in America brings back corporal punishment. And militant vegans on the warpath, vandalising Big Ben and gluing themselves to the road, demanding we all go meat free.
3: We are here outside the House of Parliament with concerned members of Animal Rebellion asking the government to transition
4: to a plant-based food system.
2: I'll be going toe-to-toe with one of those protesters right here, live. Live from London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Prime Minister Liz Truss met with her cabinet for the first time today. And these were the proud, smiling faces of the people she's charged with sifting through the rubble of a broken nation. They all look quite cheerful, don't they? Like they don't know what's going to happen to them. us, But these are the people we have to trust now to rebuild a country where families can pay their bills, where businesses can hope to survive the next six months, where the lights actually stay on this winter. A lot's been said and written about this top team already. Apparently, Liz Truss is now the sole survivor of the David Cameron administration. We're told it's the most diverse cabinet ever. Not a single one of the four great offices of state is now held by a white man, perish the thought. But there are moaners too, of course. They groan that some things never change because two-thirds of them are privately educated. Others fear she's repeating Boris Johnson's mistakes by packing her squad with allies and benching the experienced players. Some critics have even rather impudently wondered why a cigar-chomping plus-size karaoke fan is our new health secretary. But here's the point. I don't care. I don't care where they went to school. I don't care if they like a cigar and a pint. I like a cigar and a pint. I don't care if they voted Leave or Remain. I don't care if they backed Boris or supported Rishi Sunak. I don't care if they're black, white or screaming violet. This is a wartime cabinet, quite literally, given what's going on in Ukraine. All the British people care about is whether they can fix this unholy mess. Liz, prom- Liz Trust keeps promising us she can. The word she keeps using is, I will deliver, 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 deliver. In her campaign to be leader and our prime minister, she made a staggering 149 policy pledges. 149. This new cabinet has a lot to live up to. If they can step up and deliver, as she says they can, the country will not only back them every step of the way, we'll cheer them when they do it. But if they break those promises, if they don't deliver, if the country gets worse, not better, we'll be watching and we will hold them to brutal account. Well, joining me now are My Piers Pack, Talk TV contributor Esther Cracker, broadcaster and journalist Jenny Cleeman, And this is very exciting. The BBC's international editor and author, Jeremy Bowen. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me, Piers. It's oh, really to have you here. Really, It adds a touch of class. Not that you lady <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but a touch of class. I um, want to start... Uh, well, first of all, welcome to all three of you, obviously. I want to start, first of all, with the Queen. Because we've just seen her in this unprecedented uh, situation where Boris Johnson and Liz Truss go up mm. to Balmoral for the first time uh, to do the official process of the handover to be prime minister. And she did look OK, but she, she looked look frail. I mean, the pictures, she just looked frail. She's 96 years yeah. old. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, now we hear that she took a turn for the worse. She's got to spend some time now resting. She couldn't attend a Privy Council meeting after doctors intervened. Ongoing health issues, obviously. I guess, Jeremy, for me, as you're the nearest to her age, obviously. No. The <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think about all this? Because it seems we've only known one monarch in absolutely. our lifetimes. Any of us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just feel like it's going to be such a seismic moment when she's not here anymore. I think that the national outpouring will might even dwarf
1: what happened when Diana yeah. was killed. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be absolutely huge and a national trauma. Of the greatest extent? Yeah, you're quite right. I was born in 1960. She's already been
2: on the throne for eight years yeah. at that point. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And you've travelled the world where they don't have monarchies. What do you think of the institution of the monarchy in the modern times?
1: Well, I think it's worked for Britain. Uh, I think the Queen herself is uh, a national figure like no other, mm. you know, universally respected, uh, even by people who say they don't agree with the monarchy. Mm. Uh the what will happen after that? I think people might ask more questions yeah. because, of course, there's you know there is there are people who say that maybe we've had enough of the royal family. But I think that while the queen's there, uh, of course, those
2: questions are very much on hold. One of the problems, Esther, is we have the Duke and Duchess of Sussex yep. and all that drama going on. Uh, a report tonight from Omid Scobie. This, in my opinion revolting little specimen who keeps popping up as the Sussexes lick spittle mouthpiece and keeps trashing the royals on their behalf. Tonight, trashing Prince William, Mm. saying that he believes until William admits his accountability for all the terrible things he's done to Meghan and Harry, they can't be reconciled. They're literally in Windsor Park tonight, half a mile from each other, these two boys, and they haven't even said hello to each other. This is damaging. It's not just damaging to them and their relationship. It's damaging to Charles, who also hasn't seen Harry. And apparently, I was told on good authority this week, he feels incredibly hurt by what's going on. He's going to be king sooner rather than later, probably. But this is also damaging to the foundation of the monarchy.
4: I think this is now the best time for the the monarchy to transition. And I think... I know no-one has made this point, but I do think the Queen should abdicate, Mm -hmm. because I do think the the country should... She won't do that. She won't because of her sense of duty. But well, I no, it's doesn't... actually
2: because they believe in the natural law of succession. They believe that it, once you interfere with that, mm-hmm. I was told this mm-hmm. by somebody senior in the royal family, that if you start interfering with the natural process, mm-hmm. you then let other things come into play. For example, if the Queen was to abdicate and Prince Charles gets killed in a car crash the next day, God forbid, mm-hmm. you have a constitutional crisis, which is why they don't abdicate. I mean, we've had one in the last, you know, few hundred years.
4: I, th- I think that the the issue the royal family has is how do you rebrand? How do you become more tolerable? Because obviously we're seeing this feud with Harry and, and William, and I think it's very unpalatable, and I think it's actually a disgrace to the Queen's legacy and what she's built, worked so hard to build, and you have these two freeloaders um, and, uh, on the other side of the world just basically making money off her legacy and off her years of hard work. I do think that maybe it's time, okay, if she won't abdicate, maybe Prince Charles should step up and take
5: sort
1: of more... He's doing more, more and more. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I think more the
4: monarchy was
5: devised at a time when you could never imagine someone living 96 years. And the exactly. thing about the Queen is she is all about dignity. That's why she doesn't want to be seen uh, you know, in a wheelchair or, or with mobility aids. She's yeah. a very dignified person. And I think her having to continue until the very end kind of goes counter to that. And, and again, with the, the Harry and Meghan big business, mm. you do have to think about the question of dignity. And I don't think there is, there is anybody, Republican or otherwise, who would, who, would, who would say that the Queen is not... Look, if not fight, you yeah. cannot
2: have a renegade royal family running around, whoring those titles to mm-hmm. the highest bidders. You can't. It's incredibly damaging. That's why I've been on about this for quite a while, because I could see the danger to the actual future of the monarchy. If it looks like the royals basically don't do any public service or duty, they fly around in private jets preaching about the environment, and then they cash in their titles... To Netflix and Spotify for hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, aren't Harry
1: it, and Meghan getting more and more unpopular, at least I so think I, I in read? Also in, also in America. Yeah. Well,
2: they are, they are, but I think the damage, the drip, drip, drip damage to the integrity of the monarchy, yeah. it should not be underestimated. There
5: has to be a distinction between monarchy and celebrity. They're two separate yeah. things, and there isn't Which the Queen's always understood. Y- yes, yeah. which the Queen's understood, and I think maybe Meghan didn't understand that when she married into the royal
2: family. Oh, I think she understood completely what well, she, she wanted. Them I'm very be. cynical about it because I I think yeah. she's. This is all a, a, an actress at the top of her game, getting what she wants out of this, using our, our royal family to make herself very rich and famous. But I think that will only work as long as people want to hear her. And I think I'm getting a sense. I think the thing change.
4: is, we, we'd, we'd find her less distasteful if she did it for free. You know, she talks about all the things that she wants, to do. She, to, wants to do. she wants to charity work. Well, you
2: for know, actually, security. Yeah, exactly. actually, give up the titles. Well, just that be well. Meghan Markle and Harry, right, and go and do your thing and fine, see how you get on. Yeah. The, what I have a problem is, is they come back here to booster their royal status, yep. to remind people that they are royals because that's where the money is. And then they trash the monarchy and the institution and they trash the other royals. I mean, you, you just can't have it always. Anyway, uh, enough of them. Um want to play a little clip. This is Nick Kyrgios. Are you a tennis fan? A little bit, yeah. So Nick Kyrgios, who's this obviously super brat, Good player, but a super brat. Um, Did very well at Wimbledon. Uh, Came up a little bit short. Was doing well in the US Open. Loses, and then he does this. It's coming, I'm told. (laughs) We're on bated breath here. Well, we don't have it, but it's worth waiting for, because Nick Kyrgios, has been trying to convince us. That he's a better man.
1: Yeah, he says he's, he says he's over all. That. He's over
2: yeah. all that. He's come through it, and he can he can take him. He can take defeat. There's no problem. It's all okay. And then he threw one of the most almighty tantrums ever seen. Look at this. Oh, wow. It's the second one that is yeah. so pathetically <laughs> childish. Like, get over yourself, you big baby. He's just trying to show that he cares. <laughs>
5: It's good branding. He's the bad
1: boy oh, of. We're God. talking about I him. Think it's yeah,
5: really exactly. not okay. It's not okay. Oh, obviously to lose not. Bags like this. And if Serena no, Williams had, had had been violent <laughs> like yeah. that, there would be something. Well, actually, right. Serena
2: Williams oh, has yeah. done stuff yeah. like that. But she has. Not, and she not. has been roundly she castigated for something <laughs> rude to a line judge. Yes, yeah, she, but she did. She's, yeah. Just,
5: you know that that's really really aggressive. It's really not. Jeremy, have you ever
2: smashed things in your job?
1: I've still got a tennis racket I bought about twenty okay. years ago. I'd <laughs> never smash it. They cost a bomb.
2: Because you always uh, strike me. I've known you a long time. You always things. strike me as extraordinarily calm person
1: when all around is exploding. I don't smash things. I mean, I'm often surrounded by people who are smashing yes. things, <laughs> often with guns and quite big ones. But no, I, uh, I don't see. I mean, I guess maybe that's his way of dealing with his rage and disappointment. Should but we? I mean, should to, look- but, but to be honest, I think that if you explode like that, it shows you failed.
2: It does, but it also shows this extraordinarily burning passion he has inside of him, which, yeah. like McEnroe, I don't think McEnroe could help himself. This is what some people. I just don't buy that at all. It's
5: terrible. It's like it's like people who beat their spouses. Like oh, it's because just all this passion that I had for mm. you. No, get a grip. We don't do this now. He's only beating animals. a tennis racket. Yeah. He's yeah. not beating a human being. I know, being. but you know, you shouldn't display your anger by by being d- doing violent acts. We're, we're, we've evolved past this, I think. But
1: it's entertaining, and we talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah.
2: And I
4: think
5: honestly,
2: <laughs> and when and, you it's a you bit know,
5: Jeremy. Well, I think it's Brian.
1: It's
2: undignified. I think he's doing it. I think he does it deliberately.
4: Yeah I, well, yeah, I think it's branding. I think,
5: yeah. you know, 20
2: Should years now... Should we smash now up
5: this table for branding? Yeah.
4: Well, I don't I want
2: that to be my brand. <laughs> the, ba- like. the bad girl of <laughs> <laughs> the Piers Morgan show. It is the, it's when he picks Here up the second again. racket and yeah. smashes that one. I mean, that is... It's pathetic. It if you're watching, Mr Curious, I think you do watch the show. Just grow up, <laughs> you big baby. Um, Jeremy, I want to talk to you quickly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to labour this, but yeah. BBC impartiality... You want to talk about the BBC? Yes. On your programme? Yes, I do, actually. Because I'm very curious... There's, Where's the line for you with partiality? Emily Maitlis has, has raised a lot of questions about it. Gary Lineker, mm-hmm. was in the news again this week. What do you think? There's a long-time well, BBC timer.
1: Gary's in a slightly different category. He doesn't work for news. Right. And that's the argument, that he's able to have a bit more freedom to make these quite opinionated tweets. Do you tweets. accept that,
2: or does it make life difficult I accept it because you know? it's
1: the rules. I follow the rules, mate. I right. mean, I do. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the director general, my boss, said... Uh, in uh, uh, that committee the other day at Parliament that I think it was a work in progress. Mm. I don't know what he means by that. Maybe he's going to have a chat with him. But, I mean, clearly it's controversial for Mm. some people. Um, On the the whole business of impartiality, journalism is about truth. Mm. It's about getting to the truth, and it's about how you get to it. Now, on a, this is a very opinionated programme. Yeah. You see, it's, in, it's written... You know, it's, it's a Ron um, sealed title. Yes. So you, you get what you can say on the tin. Yeah. You get what you can say on the tin with the BBC as well, which is not my opinions. It's not mm. about me. It's not about... It's, yes, it's my analysis and my observation, and I use my own eyes and my ears, and I might even, in the right context, talk about something that happened to me if, it's, if it illuminates mm. the wider issue. And in the course of that, what impartiality means, in my head, and I think in the BBCs as well, is that we've all got views. I mean, mm. my God, as I get older, my views get if stronger. I've had
2: lunch with you, you, you make me look like a shrinking violet, but you don't yeah. do it on camera.
1: Well, no, um, not high, maybe if they paid me what you what <laughs> pay you, peers, I don't know. But the thing is, is that um, I, I think that at the BBC, it's quite clear, whatever your views are, you stick them in a box on the door, you can pick them up on the way out.
2: When when you saw Emily make this, this thing on Newsnight, which caused the problem about Dominic Cummings, did oh, you feel yeah. did you feel it, it crossed a line? Or yeah, that? I did
1: actually. Um, did I think it? that it wouldn't have taken a great deal for it to be stay on the right side of the line, um, because you know if you, you you cannot say this, we all think that effectively is what she was saying. Because mm. actually, probably some people didn't think that. Mm. I think if she'd written it a little bit more cleverly, if she'd said everybody's talking about this. This is what people are saying. I mean, some of you out there may disagree, mm-hmm. but, you know, the, the country's up in arms about Dominic Coming. I think a lot of people were. But it was the way she said it and in the context that she said it and in the, you know, the, the top of uh, doing a kind of soliloquy mm-hmm. at the top of a big-time BBC news programme was not considered appropriate, and I think it was appropriate for the bosses to have a
2: word with her after that. Interesting. She didn't like it, clearly, and now she's got another job. Well, I was going to ask you, there's been a lot of people leaving the BBC, Mm -hmm. you know, from Emily Mm -hmm. to Andrew Neil to Andrew Marr, all these people. lots
1: of people you haven't heard of who have um, taken redundancy and various things.
2: Is there any check that could tempt you to unleash yourself as an opinionated monster?
1: I'm a BBC man through and through, you know that.
2: I think you are. I I think you are, aren't you? I
1: am, I am, and... uh, You know, if someone came in and made me a life changing offer, who knows, I'd consider it. But actually, at the moment, it's been nearly 40 years. So, you know, I only know one way to work.
2: And do you know the most disgraceful thing I discovered today about you? What's that? You don't have any honour. Nothing. (laughs) Not even an MBE. How can that be? I don't, I don't make this. One decisions. of the greatest correspondents in BBC history. Not even have an, an MB. Honor. MB's pretty good. Yeah, but you walk around your newsroom and you see all these people with honours. They don't wear them at to the office
1: or anything. No, but I mean, that
2: would I went my... to
1: I went to a state dinner once and I saw some... Dip for, uh, it was for the King of Jordan at the Guildhall. Stop name-dropping. Su- you suddenly... know I hate name-dropping. <laughs> no, you'd never do it. <laughs> and suddenly all of these people who I'd known, diplomats at the Foreign Office, were just yes. dripping... With medals and things on sashes around their necks. Would you like
2: uh, uh, something? The recognition of your work?
1: No, I'm quite happy as I am. If I launch you? a
2: campaign on social media? Uh, to... Go
1: ahead, you never see, <laughs> see what happens.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a short break. Come back with more from our pack. Uh, we'll talk about militant veganism because you don't like milk, I just discovered, which is a bizarre revelation. Because I've seen you scoffing cheese, it's like it's gone out of fashion. So uh, we'll discuss that. Also, talk about Donald Trump and democracy because I think those are big issues. And Jeremy's great book, The Modern Middle East of Personal History. No-one knows more about it than he does. We'll talk about that after the break. Welcome back to Piers Morgan on Senses. Still with me, a talk to you contributor, Esther Kraku, broadcaster and journalist Jenny Kleeman, and BBC veteran... Veteran? BBC veteran? Do you mind being called a veteran? It's been nearly 40 years. (laughs) You're a veteran. (laughs) BBC veteran Jeremy Bowen. Um, Let's talk politics for a moment. Esther, the Cabinet, I've got to say, there's been a lot of speculation about, you know, what colour they all are, where where they were educated, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Yeah. All I care is, are they any good? Can they do their job? because I don't think the public are looking at them going, oh, look, there's only... There's no white people in the main... Who cares?
4: Yeah, what makes a difference? And I think at this time, where people are really kind of in the thick of it and really facing hard choices. We don't actually... Sh- we shouldn't care what they look like. I think it's nice, you know, they're diverse, whoop, whoop, you know, but I think it's more about looking at their competence as opposed to the colour of their skin. Someone right. like Chrissy Kwarteng has a fantastic CV. I- I've told people, you know, he- you couldn't actually find a more qualified man to be chancellor, but everyone's saying, oh, but he's not, he's not real diversity because he may be black, but he doesn't think the right things. I'm right. Like, we are facing a cost of living crisis. I'll judge them on
2: what they do. I exactly. Be honest. Let's judge them on what they do. Jenny, I mean, the big issue is Energy. We're going to hear tomorrow, we think, from Liz Truss about what this big £100 billion plan is. We think it's going to be a cap of 2500 a person. Um, The problem is she's also pledged to cut taxes. and I've been talking about this all week. Nobody I've read who I think is smart in the world of economics thinks you can possibly, in the current situation, cut taxation when you're going to be borrowing so much and not have... Inflation roaring even higher.
5: Well, she's got this kind of Boris boosterish. It'll all be fine yeah. thing about her. She is the the heir apparent. Which we've
2: now learned from the, three years of Boris is not it, the case. Really work. She
5: thinks that you can do it uh, through borrowing. She's found one or two economists who who, who back her up. Uh, she's surrounded herself with people who are loyal, and uh, she you know she does, she's not picking people necessarily. I would say on the, on their talent. She is picking people according to how biddable they are and how loyal they are. Mm. To her and how willing they are to sing from the the same hymn sheet, and you know we'll we'll, we'll see how that gets on. It's quite funny. Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, who is the new uh, business business secretary, said in January that he believed that any new leader should uh, should uh, go call a general election in, mm. in, in order it's to. Have suicidal. A now he's now not saying that now yeah. that right. he's business secretary. Um, you know these people, they don't really have principles very much. They're just people who are, who are going to have uh, Liz's back.
2: Well, Jeremy, I mean, look, unprincipled politicians are nothing new. I think what's new, though, uh, in the modern era, certainly the last few years, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, you look around other countries around the world, the sort of rise of these sort of celebrity leaders. What's, what's your, your take on that? Well, I, in electoral terms,
1: it's magnetic for a lot of people. Yeah. They've had a lot of success. It's partly, I think, a function of the way that the world is now, mm. uh, the way that the, the celebrity culture has morphed into politics as well and mm. it, it feeds off people's big images. I think politicians... There were always big figures in politics who people still talk about, but, but if you bolt on all the other stuff that comes with being famous these days then they become much, much
2: larger. In America, Trump obviously planning a comeback, will probably run again. Uh, a poll came out, Quinnipiac poll this week. Two-thirds of Americans believe democracy is dying. I found that a terrifying statistic. Well, I think it's, you know,
1: it's the great democracy of the world. And uh, no, it is what's happening in America in terms of social division, the culture wars, the way that there are, while there may... Whoever's in the White House might try and get one message out from the federal Mm. government. There are lots and lots of different messages come out from different Mm. states, vastly different regulations Mm. that they're bringing in. You know, in in some states, uh, taking action against companies for being too green. Mm. In California, saying that after 2035, you can't sell petrol cars. Yeah. You know, so... It's a very
2: disunited States of America. Yes, and the thing we about saw... America was that they managed to meld together yes. yeah, all these yeah. forces. It was the great melting pot. Yeah. President Biden, a few days ago, said this. Not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans.
4: Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. But there's
1: no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and
2: intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. Now, Esther, my problem with that it is that when he says MAGA Republicans, 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. Second time around, 10 million more than voted for him first time round. Oh, it may have been more, actually. Um, this is a bit like Hillary Clinton called them a basket of deplorables. Yeah, this- is at the moment you start labelling everyone who voted for Donald Trump a lunatic or a madman, or whatever you know, Biden wants to call them, you alienate half the country.
4: But that's that's the problem, and I think to say that MAGA Republicans don't make up that much of the Republican Party, that's a complete lie. You know, Trump's um, endorsement uh, hit rate is, like, 90% now. If he endorses you, then there's a 90% chance you're going to get elected. He's an incredibly powerful figure in the party because there are loads of people that are still flocking to him, and this is just deepening the divisions in, in the party and on well, the country as a whole. I mean, Jenny, should he, should he
2: even be allowed to run when he, we've now discovered that in this FBI raid... Mm. Some of these highly sensitive top secret documents included, apparently, details of a foreign powers' nuclear capability. And it was just sitting there at Mar-a-Lago. It
5: is terrifying. And this is not just an issue for America's national security. It's potentially an issue for ours, because we don't know which countries' mm. uh, nuclear codes or, or nuclear plans right. uh, were in there. So it's, it's really serious. In terms of whether or not he should be allowed to run, I mean, I don't know what the rules are or what makes you ineligible. I think people should not vote for him, because as much as, you know, you say, calling MAGA American MAGA Republicans, mm. uh, you know, labelling them in the same way as baskets of, uh, the basket of deplorables, these are... Uh, I think Donald Trump, ever since he lost the election, has become far more extreme. And and his whole... Uh, well, he's, a he's a,
2: I know Trump very well. He's a sore loser. He's a sore right? loser. So, he's become more extreme... But the extreme problem is, is the when you're a sore loser when you've lost an election... What you're basically saying is, I refuse to accept democracy. Yeah. And that's why you see this poll of Americans saying, we think democracy is dying, because they see the guy who just lost the presidency still saying, I didn't lose and,
5: it. And, you, and they see the raid on Mar-a-Lago as fitting perfectly into this narrative. And Trump just has to say democracy. the whole
2: thing as a fit up exactly. and so on. Jeremy, your book, The Modern Middle East, fascinating book. I mean, everyone who wants to know about the Middle East, you go and read this. You've been pretty much everywhere in the mm. Middle East. You've been shot at, stabbed... Mm. Chased, harried, everything. Um, you know, you've been at the sharp end of it. I want to start with Ukraine, because Ukraine is an appalling war. Mm. On the face of it, it's a ruthless dictator invading a sovereign democratic country. When I was in Ukraine, and I'm not trying to compare our war correspondent credentials, given I spent three days as one, mm. um, but it was fascinating to me that there were some Ukrainians who said that they felt that b- Russian-speaking parts of Ukraine, like the Crimea, perhaps even the Donbass, actually a lot of people there wanted to go back to being part of Russia. Does that make it more complicated or not?
1: It is complicated, and it's not a simple story. And Zelensky himself was not that popular before the invasion. He had 30% approval ratings back in December. And then he brought the country together with, uh, you know, those extraordinary broadcasts that he was doing on a nightly basis, walking around Kiev with his bodyguards and recording things and putting them online. No, I've uh, I've spent quite a bit of time in the in the east, in Donbass, this region mm-hmm. uh, where there's been an awful lot of fighting, and I spoke to people there who had no time for Zelensky, particularly who wanted it all to be over. I had other found others who weren't sad about the Russians coming in, uh, but then there were plenty of others. Russians, it's you know, it's a bit of a false distinction to say that just because Ukrainians are native Russian speakers, they might automatically feel that they are closer to Russia. Zelensky, his mm. first language, is Russian. Right. And uh, so it's like, you know, think about the Irish. You mm. know, they speak English, but there aren't all that many Irish who do want to be fear, part of Britain.
2: Do you fear that we are nearer a nuclear conflict than we've ever been?
1: Yes. Uh, well, since probably since the Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. which was... When I was a small baby, mm. uh, yeah, I think we do. Uh, ever since the very start of all this, Putin has been using nuclear rhetoric. He hasn't done anything, but he's—I think his rhetoric almost normalizes the presence of that threat. I mean, those of us, you know, those of us who can remember 1989 and the fall of the Berlin Wall and mm. the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991 can remember growing up, I mean, I grew up in the Cold War, and always in the background, there was this sense that if things did go wrong internationally, we might all end up as radioactive dust. And sadly, I feel that's come back. Mm. And that's one of the really dangerous things about this crisis, the fact that Russia, which actually has more nuclear warheads Mm. than the US is talking about using them. Of course, it could just be threats, it could just be talk. But when someone who has an arsenal of, what, 6,000-plus warheads starts
2: talking like that, well, you've got to take it seriously. When you talk about the Middle East uh, with such authority, I want to take you back to the start of the Arab Spring and ask a difficult question. Mm -hmm. Would the world be better off if we hadn't gone on a domino-removing process of all the dictators in the Middle East? Would they have kept the lid on things better than what's happened since?
1: Uh, well, the dictators pretty much are back, sometimes different faces, right. and, of course, Assad himself never left. And, actually, the the force to remove those people who did go, and that was the, the ruler of Tunisia and then the president of Egypt, yeah. and then it went on from there, that came very much from the streets. It really did, because there's a large population of mostly young people, 60% under the age of 30, who were just fed up with these uh, mm. countries run by autocrats, corrupt, uh, mm. the, the whole process of governance was completely but dysfunctional. Should we,
2: should we, as we did in Iraq, should we be trying to instil our democratic values no. into Middle Eastern countries?
1: No. Democracy grows from within a country. Yeah. We weren't given it by people here in the UK Mm. or in Western Europe, we did it for ourselves. I think we can do things to help. Uh, I think, for example, uh, we can help with the building of institutions. Mm. That's a really important part of it. Mm. Uh, To have a democracy, you need courts that are pretty honest, reasonably honest, so they can enforce contracts. It's not just about voting. It's about the legal system. Mm. It's about the respect for the rule of law. All of those things, that's what democracy is built on. And it's wrong to think that just because it's the Middle East, people don't want democracy. I think a lot of people would like to have it. But now, quite a lot of people, when confronted, Egypt's a good example, when confronted by this, t- this tsunami of what seemed like change actually were quite relieved when the military came back in, the strongman, Sisi, who's there now, who's a worse dictator than Mubarak ever was. Yes, exactly.
2: It's a fantastic book, uh, The Making of the Modern Middle East, A Personal History. Really cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, Final question for the three of you. I'm getting into interview a vegan militant who's been throwing paint all over Big Ben and Parliament and so on today. Are any of you vegans? God, no. no. Vegetarians? No. So we're all meat eaters. Yeah. Would, any, would would someone chucking paint at Big Ben, just when we've repaired the damn thing, make you give up meat?
5: No. Absolutely not. It's made us talk about yeah. it now, though. She's on though. your show. She's on your show. It actually,
2: it's a it, win, Pierce. It Actually, you're, you're, you're dairy intolerant. Are you? or? No, I'm not dairy intolerant. No. I just
1: don't like milk. Right. Milky stuff. Gloppy, creamy, But do creamy, you want to ban people yum. from having it? No, if they want to eat
2: it. Drink exactly. It. And that's down, my point. Yeah. You want to eat your <laughs> vegan gruel Eat your vegan gruel. Let me eat my meat. And you chucking paint at Big Ben isn't going to make me eat gruel. It's not. Uh, We'll have that debate in a moment with one of the protesters who thought it was a great way to persuade me. That'll be uh, coming up later. And coming up next... As a Missouri school reintroduces the practice of paddling, seen here in a school in Florida to toughen up discipline, should British schools follow suit? Are our schools, frankly, going too soft? exploring a generation who just don't respect the rules? Or is this actually modern-day torture? We'll debate that after the break. Thank you to my brilliant pack. Jeremy, Jenny, Esther. Touch of class, wasn't it, today? Yeah, definitely. Good old bow. i hey, love to be here. <laughs> Great <laughs> to Enjoyed see you. It. We'll come back again. You can just be uncensored here, mate. You can say what you like. <laughs> <laughs> see you after the break. Welcome back to Piers Morgan on Crime Rising, youth gang culture on the up is the only way to get back control of our streets and our schools to get tougher on kids. A school district in the US state of Missouri has decided to reinstate corporal punishment in its classrooms, allowing students to be punished with a paddle like this under a new policy. Well, this video of a five year old, six year old girl, I'm sorry, at an elementary school in Florida shows what no. can happen. The girl's mother gave permission for this to happen, according to an official report. But is bringing back this form of corporal punishment at the schools the best way to root out the problem of rising crime and disrespect? Well, head teacher Serge Safi and former gang member and now government advisor Gwenton Slowly join me now. Welcome to both of you. Um, Gwenton, you grew up in, in Jamaica, yeah. where there was a lot of corporal punishment. Yeah. And then you came here, where there hasn't been for a long time, certainly not in schools in any authorised way. What's your view about this?
0: I think if we look at historical records and see, with the rise in gang crime to the point now where we're at 3.4 million for each murder, and track back where a lot of this started, is from young people being excluded from school and teachers feeling as if they've got no control of the school, much less the classroom. If that could have been prevented, a lot of people would have made it through to college and then to university and had higher prospects of actually gaining a job or something.
2: People will feel, looking at this paddle, you can't possibly use this on
0: kids. It, It does look scary. And as I said, if you've not come from somewhere where you've actually gone through that system, it actually looks scary. It looks like a mini cricket bat looking at that. But one thing that we have to put in there is that In America, they've actually asked the parents' permission for this. So it's not just as if the school's implemented it. Right. The parents have to give the permission. Have to give consent. So, Serge, I
2: mean, that's the the point of this is quite interesting. Parents Mm. want their kids to be disciplined like this. Does that change the the dial for you? Well,
3: first and foremost, there's no argument, hopefully, anymore. We've got to get tougher with kids. However, this ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. Our parents aren't allowed to hit kids anymore here. Mm -hmm. So the idea of using an implement, you will not find a teacher who will carry out that sort of punishment when parents can be taken to court for it and their own kids. What we've got to get tougher on is adults that have long since abdicated their responsibility of bringing up kids. Yeah. And got, I've got a whole list there. Let's start with absent parents. Mm. You know, no-one wants to talk about it anymore, but you've just had... everyone seen it. Advert after advert from the media, finding a single-parent mum with three or four kids, and no-one wants to ask, OK, well, excuse bereavement, well, where's the other parent here? And, of course, I've been teaching 42 years in inner city areas and time and time again people are struggling with their kids but they're struggling on their own. Why do we accept the fact that people can have children yet not take on board the responsibility of bringing them up properly? What
0: do you say to that? Uh, I agree with you in in some sense to that because uh, for what I do in a day-to-day, I look after people on witness protection when I'm not running elections. But there are a lot of parents struggling by themselves. No and when you look at the murder rate, a lot of these young people are coming from broken homes. But to say that, I came from a home where I was a middle-class young person and I was still caught up because of the environment. I had a tutor and everything else. So it's not everyone. Sometimes the excitement out there or the environment that you have to go to school forces you
3: to either become a victim or learn or to survive. part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, but, but we know this. Yeah. But I wouldn't even stop there. Parents, Single parents is one thing. Let's talk about you've talked about exclusion rates. I know as a head teacher and teachers we're how to account for everything. Mm. You know, exam results, exclusion rates, you name it. Yet I've excluded kids in my time, not regretted a single one, tried not to, but I'm telling you now, happy to say it, any child that walks into my school with a knife is not walking back in my school again.
2: But have we gone too soft
3: on yes. kids in school? Yes, and let me talk about the fact that there's kids being excluded, okay? I can tell you now there's very few that haven't had social services involvement for donkey's years. We've been paying that money, that's been invested, no good. I want to know, and I've asked this question of my local authority for donkey's years, you know, the youth offending team, what are the re-offending statistics on that? I know I'm accountable, and I'm afraid the message that adults... Now, go back to adults, us, abdicating our responsibilities. We're not bringing up children properly. We're not telling them they have to take responsibility for their actions. See, I, I do you know? think this
2: is this is right. Yeah. I think the disagreement is you think corporal punishment can, can solve this. You were in a gang. Yeah. I mean would it would it have any impact if your kid's excluded from school, if you bring them back and use corporal punishment, do they not just see that as basic extension of being in a gang?
0: As I said, it, it's about being tough about giving support. I've yeah. just run for the mayor of Hackney which is unheard of. And If you look at the stats of that, how many people would have come from where I've come from to be doing what I'm doing? So we need to show that there is another way. When you talk to young kids, young black kids in particular, a lot of the knife crime is
2: is endemic amongst young black kids in in London, right? When you see them
0: and you talk to them, how do you try and persuade them this is not the way to go? You, you have to be an example yourself. And one thing, you can't be a broken man talking to a young person that's making £4,000 off a county line. If a young person's out there making more money than you, you then are struggling to tell them to go and
3: work in Tesco's or somewhere else. Yeah, but this is where... I mean, I've I run two schools. 2,000 kids, Camberwell and Peckham. Yeah. You should see those kids. Brilliant kids. They know their place in terms of they're here to teach... Teachers are in charge, we have rules and regulations, and when they break them, there's no fanning around in terms of we make yeah. it damn clear... You would agree with that. We right? he's, he's make right. it damn yeah. clear that is wrong, you're going to get punished, yeah. take responsibility for it, and we hope. But I know, and I've already alluded to it, we have a whole bunch of professionals, you name it, all around the place, our youth justice system, there's Broken Britain for you, mm-hmm. telling these kids, who everyone knows, I've got all sorts of examples, when I know the kids have admitted and have actually been sorry for doing things wrong, they've got their lawyers saying, no comment, mm-hmm. the parents are on board with it, I'll get you off on a technicality. And then we're surprised when they reach 18, we chuck them in prison. We did a poll
2: actually on social media earlier really asking about whether we should bring back physical punishment in schools to try and deal with this. 56% said Yes. 44% said no. It's a,
0: It's an interesting result. Uh, well, Final word to you, words, have, Well, you have to look at that, PS is a lot of parents are also struggling. So when their children come home from terrorising the teachers, mm. they then terrorise their parents. Of course. So the, a lot of parents are there crying out for
3: help. Yeah, well, they get it in a good school. They get it in a good school if they come and ask for it because th- there, there's no-one terrorising teachers in my schools and in a lot of good schools. Mm. It can be done without the paddle.
2: Chaps... I've got to leave it there. Really good debate. Thank you both very much. I appreciate it. Well, coming next, Animal Rebellion paint Parliament white as vegan activists spray the gates to Big Ben with paint in a protest against milk. Is this really the best way to make a point to the new Prime Minister? I'll go toe-to-toe after the break with one of these militant vegans who's demanding, well, people like me should give up meat and just eat gruel for the rest of our natural lives. Welcome back to Piers Morgan on Sensor. Crime Rising, youth gang culture on the up is the only way to get back control of our streets and our schools to get tougher on kids. A school district in the US state of Missouri has decided to reinstate corporal punishment in its classrooms, allowing students to be punished with a paddle like this under a new policy. Well, this video of a five-year-old, 6 year old girl, I'm sorry, at an elementary school in Florida shows what can happen. The girl's mother gave permission for this to happen, according to an official report. But is bringing back this form of corporal punishment at schools the best way to root out the problem of rising crime and disrespect? Well, head teacher Serge Safi and former gang member and now government advisor Gwenton Slowly, join me now. Welcome to both of you. Um, Gwenton, you grew up in, in Jamaica... Yeah. ..where there was a lot of corporal punishment. Yeah. And then you came here where there hasn't been for a long time, certainly not in schools in any authorised way. What's your view about this?
0: I think... If we look at historical records and see with the rise in gang crime to the point now where we're at 3.4 million for each murder and track back where a lot of this started, is from young people being excluded from school and teachers feeling as if they've got no control of the school, much less the classroom. If that could have been prevented, a lot of people would have made it through to college and then to university and had higher prospects of actually gaining a job or something. People
2: will feel, looking at this paddle, you can't possibly use this on
0: kids. It it does look scary. And as I said, if you've not come from somewhere where you've actually gone through that system, it actually looks scary. It looks like a mini cricket bat looking at that. But one thing that we have to put in there is that In America, they've actually asked the parents' permission for this. So it's not just as if the school's implemented it. Right. The parents have to give the permission. Have to give consent. So, Serge,
2: I mean, that's the the point of this is quite interesting. Parents
3: Mm. want their kids to be disciplined like this. Does that change the the dial for you? Well, first and foremost, there's no argument, hopefully, anymore. We've got to get tougher with kids. However, this ship has sailed. Our parents aren't allowed to hit kids anymore here. Mm -hmm. So the idea of using an implement, you will not find a teacher who will carry out that sort of punishment when parents can be taken to court for it in their own kids. What we've got to get tougher on is adults that have long since abdicated their responsibility of bringing up kids. Yeah. And you've got, I've got a whole list there. Let's start with absent parents. Mm. You know, no-one wants to talk about it anymore, but you've just had... everyone seen it. Advert after advert from the media, finding a single-parent mum with three or four kids, and no-one wants to ask, OK, well, excuse bereavement, Well, where's the other parent here? And, of course, I've been teaching 42 years in inner-city areas, and time and time again, people are struggling with their kids, but they're struggling on their own. Why do we accept the fact that people can have children yet not take on board the responsibility of bringing them up properly? What do you say to that?
0: Uh, I agree with you in in some sense to that, because uh, for what I do in a day-to-day, I look after people on witness protection when I'm not running elections. But there are a lot of parents struggling... By themselves, no and when you look at the murder rate, a lot of these young people are coming from broken homes. But to say that I came from a home where I was a middle-class young person, and I was still caught up because of the environment—I had a tutor and everything else—so it's not everyone. Sometimes the excitement out there or the environment that you have to go to school forces you to either become a victim or learn well, to I'll survive. Be part of the
3: problem, yeah. Uh, but but we know this. Yeah. But I wouldn't even stop there. Parents, single parents, is one thing. Let's talk about. You've talked about exclusion rates. I know as a head teacher and teachers, well, how to account for everything. Mm. You know, exam results, exclusion rates, you name it. Yet, I've excluded kids in my time, not regretted a single one, tried not to. But I'm telling you now, happy to say it, any child that walks into my school with a knife is not walking back in my school again. But have we gone too soft on yes. kids in school? Yes, and let me talk about the fact that kids being excluded, okay, I can tell you now there's very few that haven't had social services involvement for donkey's years. We've been paying that money, that's been invested, no good. I want to know, and I've asked this question of my local authority for donkey's years, you know, the youth offending team, what are the re-offending statistics on that? I know I'm accountable, and I'm afraid the message that adults, and I go back to adults, us, abdicating our responsibilities, we're not bringing up children properly. We're not telling them they have to take responsibility for their actions. See I, I do you think know? this is,
2: is this is right. Yeah. I think the disagreement is you think corporal punishment can, can solve this. You were in a gang. Yeah. I mean would it would it have any impact if your kid's excluded from school, if you bring them back and use corporal punishment, do they not just see that as basic extension of being in a gang?
0: As I said, it, it's about being tough about giving support. I've yeah. just run for the mayor of Hackney which is unheard of. And if you look at the stats of that, how many people would have come from where I've come from to be doing what I'm doing? So we need to show that there is another way. When you talk An- to young kids, young yeah. black kids in
2: particular, yeah. a lot of the knife crime is, a, is endemic amongst young black kids in, yeah, in London, that's right? Correct. When you see them and you talk to them, how do
0: you try and persuade them this is not the way to go? You you have to be an example yourself, and one thing you can't be a broken man talking to a young person that's making four thousand pound off a county line. If a young person's out there making more money than you,
3: you then are struggling to tell them to go and work in Tesco's or somewhere else. Yeah, but this is where I mean I've run two schools, Mm. two thousand kids, Camberwell and Peckham. Yeah, you should see those kids, brilliant kids. They know their place in terms of they're here to teach. Teachers are in charge. We have rules and regulations, and when they break them, there's no fanning around in terms of mm. we make mm. it damn yeah. clear... You would agree with that. We right? make right. it damn yeah. clear that is wrong, you're going to get punished, mm. take responsibility for it, and we hope. But I know, and I've already alluded to mm. it, we have a whole bunch of professionals, you name it, all around the place, our youth justice system, Mm -hmm. there's Broken Britain for you, Mm -hmm. telling these kids, who everyone knows, I've got all sorts of examples, when I know the kids have admitted and have actually been sorry for doing things wrong, they've got their lawyers saying, no comment, Mm -hmm. the parents are on board with it, I'll get you off on a technicality. And then we're surprised when they reach 18, we chuck them in prison.
2: We did a poll actually on social media earlier asking about whether we should bring back physical punishment in schools to try and deal with this. 56% said Yes. 44% 44% said no. It's it, It's an interesting result. Uh, well
0: Final have, word to you, Ronan. Well you have to look at that, PS, is a lot of parents are also struggling. So when their children come home from terrorising the teachers, mm. they then terrorise their parents. Of course.
3: So the, a lot of parents are there crying out for help. Yeah, well, they get it in a good school. They get it in a good school if they come and ask for it because th- there, there's no-one terrorising teachers in my schools and in a lot of good schools. Mm. It can be done without the paddle.
2: Chaps... I've got to leave it there. Really good debate. Thank you both very much. I appreciate it. Well, coming next, Animal Rebellion paint Parliament white as vegan activists spray the gates to big... Ben, with paint in a protest against milk, is this really the best way to make a point of the new prime minister? I'll go toe-to-toe after the break with one of these militant vegans who's demanding, well, people like me should give up meat and just eat gruel for the rest of our natural lives.